Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my friends in Christ, from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. Today we are in the second week of our five-week sermon series covering the book of Jonah. Last week, if, if you were here or if you weren't even, we uh, kind of set the stage for the book of Jonah. I gave you a little historical context and sort of cast the overarching theme. Uh, if you want to get, get caught up or if you miss a week, all of our sermons you can access online after the fact. We have a church app where you can download and see or listen to those or on our church website. And I, I would uh, uh, ask you to continue to stay involved uh, as we walk through this story. Uh, and so what we're doing today and then the next three weeks, Jonah is only four chapters long. So each week we're going to take a chapter by chapter. So today we're in chapter one. And, and I'm just essentially going to tell you uh, this story today uh, as it unfolds. Uh, we read a couple of verses just a little bit ago of Jonah chapter 1. Uh, but what I want to do today and what we'll do each week is um, there, we have a recording of Jonah. And then uh, put to that recording is artwork uh, that's been contributed uh, by many of you of varying ages. So take a look at this. This is Jonah chapter 1. It's just three minutes long. Jonah. Chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and cast him forth into the sea. 
and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's kind of fun. Thank you all for participating in that. We're going to do the same thing each week. We do have some artwork already collected for the upcoming chapters, but if you want to participate uh, in that, in any sort of art medium, you can either uh, put it in the, the whale-shaped box in the narthex or, or email me a, a picture or a copy of what it is that you've made. Uh, today, again, I want to just walk us through this chapter one as we, as we hear this story of Jonah. And so you may want to follow along. I'd encourage you to take out that lesson insert that you have in the bulletin today. Uh, the, the, this chapter, this story of Jonah, uh, begins with the word of God coming to Jonah the prophet. And what was that word of God? The word of God comes to him here in verse 2. And in verse 2, there are three imperative words. That is, three command words that God gives to him. These three command words are this, arise, go, call out. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, call out against them. In the Hebrew language, those are all imperatives. It means they're commands. It means God says, go and do this. So what I want to do is look at each of these three words one at a time, and we'll see how Jonah responds to God's command. So first is this, this first word, arise. What does Jonah do in verse 3? In verse 3, Jonah does the opposite. He doesn't arise, he flees. And where does he flee? Look at the specific word choice there. He flees down into Joppa, to a different city. Now you might think, oh, that's just, that's just a common language, right? You go down somewhere. In the Hebrew language, it's actually very intentionally structured this way with this word choice to show that Jonah's doing the opposite thing. So he's called to arise, and what does he do? He went down to Joppa. What does he do when he gets to Joppa? He pays a fare to get onto a boat to go to this far-off place called Tarshish. When he gets on the boat, where does he go? Look at the word choice. Where does he go? He went where? Down into it. He went down into it. So what we see here is that Jonah is told, arise, and he goes down to Joppa. When he gets there, he goes down into the boat. Last week, I showed you a map. I'll put it up here again. And it all starts with this, right? Even on the map, where is Jonah called to go? Up. Arise. Go up to Nineveh, right? He's from this city called Gath Hefer. He's supposed to go up. And where does he go? Down, right? He does the exact opposite. In, in, in this, the author of Jonah is uh, explicit in the way that the words are chosen to describe Jonah doing the opposite thing. He's called to go up, to arise up to Nineveh, and instead he went down to Joppa, and he went down into the belly of this boat. What was the second imperative? Go, right? Arise, go. Did Jonah go? Well, he only went so far as to go down to Joppa to get on the, to that boat. And where did he go once he got onto the boat, into the belly of the boat? And where did he go at that point? He goes to sleep. 
right? He goes to sleep. He's told to go. That's a word that means like move your body and have action. And what does he do? Boom, still, idle, silent, the exact opposite of what God has commanded him to do. Now we talk about this boat, this ship uh, going to Tarshish. Now I did a little uh, digging through the historical archives of pictures of ships all throughout history. Uh, And believe it or not, historians think that the ship going to Tarshish looked like this. I don't know. The, 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 these, these sailors, they're, they're Vikings fans. I don't, I don't know. And the, the crazy thing about this story is it's all about unlikely people. And, and kind of in the end, we sort of all end up rooting for the sailors. Uh, and so I don't know. As a Vikings fan, I, I would just welcome your rooting for the Vikings. An unlikely team, right? Okay. I don't know. You take it for what it is. That's what historians say. All right, so these are the command words, right? He says, arise, and where did Jonah go? He went down. He said, go. God said, go. Where did Jonah go? He goes to sleep. The third one is what? Call out, right? Call out among the city of Nineveh and call them to repentance. Call out among them. What is Jonah doing when he is on that ship in the belly of the ship down below being uh, sleeping? Is he calling out against anybody? No, he is silent. Silent. Three times God gives Jonah a command and three times Jonah does the exact opposite of what God has called him to do. Because of this, because of Jonah's opposite intentions, God now needs to make himself known to all aboard the boat. And so God creates this great big storm upon the Mediterranean Sea, and everyone is afraid. Everyone on the boat is afraid, except for, except for Jonah, because he's passed out in the bottom of the boat. Everybody's afraid, and these, these are not uh, Hebrew people. These are most likely like Phoenician sailors, and so they're pagan people. They worship all kinds of gods. And so as the storm rages, one, for the practicality of saving their boat, they throw excess weight off of the boat to save the boat. But uh, you can also imagine that they're throwing those things in as sailors would do as a sacrifice or an offering to these sea gods that they would have worshipped, right? And so, so this is what's going on up on deck, and the captain goes down into the bottom of the ship to find Jonah and to wake him up. And what does the captain say to Jonah? Pay attention to these words. The word choice is, is beautiful. It's, it's very striking. It's intentional. The captain echoes the words of God with two imperative words. He says to Jonah, arise, Jonah, call out to your God. <laughs> right? Arise, call out to your God. The captain echoes the words of God. And what does Jonah do at this point? Nothing. It doesn't even say he wakes up. He's just, boom, just out of it. He doesn't hear the captain. At this point in the story, Jonah is so far away, as as far away as possible from Nineveh and from God. Jonah thinks he has made it as far away as he can. Jonah did not believe that the city of Nineveh was worthy of repentance. They're a foreign land. Jonah's a very nationalistic kind of guy. He believed in the nation of Israel and that God uh, had his chosen people and that God should only deliver mercy to his people. He didn't want this foreign city, this foreign city, 
right? It had a bad reputation. He didn't believe they were worthy of the mercy of God. Jonah is somebody who prefers shadow to light, comfort to struggle, his own destination rather the one to, than to which God has called him. Jonah is cocooned in a belief system that protects him from expending himself, from ministering and from preaching the saving word of God to the farthest places. So Jonah is asleep. He's still and he's quiet in the belly of this, sh- in the belly of this ship. Now, when Jonah is sleeping here, uh, we are not to imagine that Jonah is peacefully sleeping. Uh, Some people might like to read this and and compare Jonah to Jesus. Remember Jesus, who there's a big storm raging, and where's Jesus? He's just sleeping on the boat, and the disciples have to wake him up. Jesus slept peacefully because he was God. Jonah is not sleeping peacefully. Jonah is sleeping here in a... a, um, in an attempt at neglecting and denying the reality of what's going on. Jonah is in absolute denial. He is doing everything he can to deny the fact that God has called to him. He does not want to acknowledge the call of God. He wants to ignore the call of God and simply go numb. People do this all the time. In states of denial, people seek some extreme ways of not dealing with the reality of their situations. People go to sleep, they drink alcohol, they engage in promiscuous sexual activities, they do drugs and all kinds of other activities in order to deny the reality of life's situations and just go numb from it. And this is the kind of image that the author of Jonah wants us to have about what Jonah is doing. He had a careless kind of self-security, thinking that he could escape God, thinking that he could escape his sin, thinking that he could ignore the storms that were all raging around him, when in reality the storms that were raging were just simply God trying to get his attention. How many people live like this? How many of you live like this, numb to the call of God in your life? In verse 7, the captain, unable to awaken Jonah in the belly of the ship, goes back up onto deck. And these sailors engage in activity, which is custom at the time. They cast lots to figure out whose fault this is. And God meddles in the midst of this gamble, and it's no longer a gamble. It's a God-ordained activity to point the finger at Jonah. So the sailors finally go down. They, they awaken Jonah. They interrogate him with a whole bunch of questions, and Jonah is forced to tell the truth. And believe it or not, he actually tells the truth. <laughs> he does. Good job, Jonah. He tells them, I'm a Hebrew. I'm from the nation of Israel. I worship Yahweh. Yahweh. In, in your reading there, the word Lord is written in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, in all capitals. That means, in the Hebrew language, the name Yahweh is written there. Yahweh is the proper name of God. That is how he would have been known throughout that, that ancient uh, world. People knew him. Other gods had names. God has a name. His name is Yahweh. And so he says, I believe in Yahweh, the creator of the earth and the sea. And the sailors say, what? Why are you running from him? We've heard about what he can do. 
right? And so here is what happens at this point. They awaken Jonah. He confesses that it's his fault. He even is willing to take the punishment for his sin, and so he wants him to throw him overboard. The sailors don't want to do this, though. That's not good practice for sailors to do, to throw people overboard. So they row as hard as they can, but they can't. So they ask this God, this Yahweh, in, in whom they do not believe, they ask him for mercy, for forgiveness. They ask him to, you know, uh, not hold his anger against them for doing this. And so they have no choice. They throw him overboard. And after they throw Jonah overboard, again, they repent. They ask for mercy. They offer sacrifices to this Yahweh. And they make a vow that when they return to shore, they will continue offering sacrifices to this Yahweh. It's like a conversion experience. The real interesting thing here, can you see what's going on? We haven't gotten to chapter 3 of the story yet, but this whole thing is about God calling Jonah to go to a pagan city, Nineveh, to get them to repent. In this first chapter, where does Jonah go? The opposite direction. Where does it take him? To another group of unbelieving people. And still in his disobedience, what does God do? He uses Jonah to reach out and bring repentance to another group of people. Ha! You can't outrun God's love. You can't outrun God's ability to be with you and put you to work wherever you are. So they throw Jonah overboard. And where is he now? Well, a great fish is appointed to swallow him up. But even now, further still, if you think about the way this story is unfolding, where does Jonah go? Down once again, <laughs> into the belly of a great fish, where he is forced to be in that belly of the fish for three days, further down still, not going anywhere. Nobody can hear his voice. It's as if God said to him, Jonah, you want to run away? You want to go down away from me? I will take you to the furthest depths until you are awoken to what I have in store for you. God's word calls unlikely people to go to unlikely places, to say unlikely things to unlikely people. God's word is so much bigger, better, stronger than we oftentimes give him credit for. And this expansiveness of God's word is such a good thing for us, but also for this world. Think of it. So many of us are just like Jonah. So many of us are just like Jonah. We want to stay in our comfort zone, cocooned in our quiet, in what we know with people that we know who are like us. Don't send me there, Lord. I'm sure there's somebody else who will go and talk to these people about your love. Don't send me. I'm ready, though. I'm ready for whatever you have in store for me, so long as I can just stay here and not say anything to anybody. Okay, got a deal, God? So many of us are just like Jonah in that regard. So it's good for us and it's good for this world that God can utilize us and move us to go to unlikely places, to unlikely people, to say unlikely things because we are unlikely people. God uses unlikely people like Jonah, like you, and like me to do wonderful, marvelous things. Think about what the Word of God is capable of. The Word of God crosses human-made borders and boundaries all of the time. 
The Word of God calls us often to leave our comfort zone, to turn our backs on these established norms that we're comfortable with, and to enter into a new way of living. This is what God's Word does. God's Word forces us to cross borders and boundaries, and this is exactly how God works. Think about what Jesus does in His ministry. Jesus is constantly crossing geographical, social, moral boundaries. Think about what he did in his ministry. He traveled through Samaria. He spoke publicly with women. He socialized with sinners. He touched lepers. He challenged the laws of the Sabbath. Even more significantly, think about the borders that God himself crossed for your extent. In his incarnation, when God became flesh, he crossed the border and the boundary between heaven and earth to come and make his dwelling among you and me sinners. In his death, Jesus crossed over from righteousness to sin in order to bear your sin and be your Savior. And in his resurrection, he crossed over from death to life in order to defeat death for you and for me in order that we can have life now and life eternal. God's grace at the heart of the gospel is this breaking down of conventional boundaries in order that the grace of God can be brought to the furthest places. Now, so far in this story, in chapter 1, this is all we've got so far, so far in the story, Jonah uh, has not done what God asked him to do. He has gone in the opposite direction, done the opposite thing three different times. And yet, even in his ineptitude, God has still used him. As we wrap up today, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you last week if you were here. And I'll ask you this again. When God's word comes to you, will you flee? When God speaks to you, do you flee? The answer here, again, if you weren't here, the answer is yes, you do flee. It's just a matter of which direction you're going to flee. When God calls out to you, will you flee away from him like Jonah into your own self-security? Or when God calls out to you, will you flee from yourself? Flee into the unknown. Flee with this God of great grace and mercy Will you flee with him, hearing his word into this great adventure of lifelong discipleship with Jesus? Maybe not necessarily knowing where he's taking you, not necessarily knowing what you're supposed to do, but knowing that at all times and in all places, God is with you and leading you and providing for you as you have need. God has unlikely things in store for you. Do you know this? Because you're unlikely people. You and I are sinners, just like Jonah, and yet God has reached out to us with great grace and mercy. We are unlikely people, and he's probably got unlikely plans in store for us. But I tell you, you're in good company. You're in good company with one another, and God is with you. And remember, he's never going to call you to a place where he is not. God goes with you. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 2. I encourage you to read that ahead of time. We're going to be with Jonah in the belly of that great fish. Come on back next week. We go in the name and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.